In Dynasty Fantasy Football, market value changes very, very quickly. So we are taking a look at 10 players the Dynasty community is burying. They want nothing to do with these guys. And we're going to talk about what caused their fall in value and whether we're in, whether we're out. Are we buying? Are we selling? Are we holding? Without further ado, let's get into it. All right, so like Corey said prior to the intro, we are going through 10 players the Dynasty community wants nothing to do with. Whatever their reason to follow value was, we'll detail that. We'll detail, like Corey said, whether we're in or out. First player we want to mention is Ramondre Stevenson, running back of the New England Patriots. And the main reason for his fall in value is that we saw in 2023 a drop-off in his efficiency when he played last year compared to his breakout 2022 year. He lost that full bell cow role that he had in 2022 with the emergence of Ezekiel Elliott earning touches. And he dealt with injury another year older. I mean, that's the nature of the running back position. If you're not productive the year before and you get a year older, your value could be subjected to a value drop-off like this. So uh, what are your overall thoughts and are you in or out on Ramondre Stevenson? Yeah, it's difficult because we're going to talk about another guy who was a day three pick, who earned his stripes, who commanded a starting workload, commanded an RB1 workload. But the nature of the running back position is that when you don't have a lot of team investment, you weren't a first round pick, you weren't a second round pick, you're not playing on a massive contract or whatever, you can be replaced and you can be kind of uh, maneuvered off of. And sometimes it's just due to injury. And that's kind of what we've seen so far with Ramondre Stevenson. I'm in at the price tag that you're getting him at right now. I think he's like borderline top 20 running back prices. I think that's a cheap cost for a guy that still does have RB1 upside, RB1 production from like weeks three to like 10 or 11 last year when he was fully healthy. I don't feel like the Patriots will spend big on a running back in free agency and the draft is, you know, shaky as we know in terms of high draft capital running backs that we expect, but I wouldn't put past them either. Like, I think it's possible that they could go out there and sign a Josh Jacobs if they wanted to. There's definitely risk there with Bill Belichick gone. Maybe they pivot. Um, but I still think Ramondre Stevenson's a good player. I still think he's a talented running back. And as you guys can see on our flock trade calculator, which we'll make reference to throughout uh, this video, we actually have a trade finder tool. So you can see actual trades that have gone down in actual sleeper leagues. I mean, if the price tag of Ramondre Stevenson is Ramondre in a second rounder, even if that's a mid to late second rounder for a guy like Jaden Reed, and you're a competitive team in need of running back production. And as we talk about on this channel, you've built out uh, you know, a stable of solid wide receivers and Jaden Reed's your wide receiver six or your wide receiver seven. I don't mind making trades like that if you have the opportunity here to get RB2 or better production. Yeah, I mean, with a guy like Jaden Reed, like as good as this 2024 class is, yeah, you're it's optimistic thinking a round two pick's going to be able to equal Jaden Reed, but giving yourself multiple paths to paying off if Ramondre Stephen gets back his value or that round two pick has the type of emergence that Jaden Reed does, you're giving yourself, like I said, more passive value, more passive potentially winning the deal. So I like these type of process deals. Um, in terms of if I'm in or out, I currently have them ranked as my RB19 without the oncoming rookies. And around this RB18, RB19 cost, I'm definitely in, knowing that the New England situation can only go up from last year. And this is just me believing in the talent level that Ron, the Ramondre Stevenson represents. I think he's much closer to the player that we saw in 2022 rather than 2023. And he's not someone that I'm looking to actively acquire prior to the NFL draft but someone that let's just say new england goes to the draft doesn't add a running back doesn't add a running back in free agency somebody i'm willing to pull the trigger on on the cost in a startup like if you're doing a startup right now and he's available 
like round seven, round eight, you can get them at that type of price. I'm more than comfortable taking that cost. In a trade situation, though, if you can get them in a throw-in, like we said, if you can trade Jaden Reed and get Ramondre Stevenson plus a two, those are the type of process moves I'd be making for Ramondre Stevenson. He's not somebody I am singling out and trying to acquire on their own, but more so somebody I want attached to a package. Yeah, and if you're risk-averse, definitely wait until you know July, August, until we know the projection. You're going to pay probably 10% more than what you would pay right now, but it might be worthwhile for your time. I actually lean towards the side of, I'm actually maybe actively buying Ramondre Stevenson because I think he left a sour taste in fantasy managers' mouths, and I do think that it's possible the Patriots are going to realize they have bigger fish to fry than their running back position. Yeah. They have a guy that can carry a workload. They don't need to invest in this position. They can invest in wide receiver. They can invest, most notably, in quarterback they can invest at the offensive line they can invest on defense they have a lot more needs and running back is probably one of their best position groups on their entire roster so i tend to believe that they actually will not draft anybody sans I mean, like a, a fifth or a sixth round pick to add to the backfield so i actually really like buying Ramondre at the price tag he's going right now but i understand if you want to wait until after the draft to get a little bit more assurance there uh, another guy who we saw take a big time value hit last nfl draft cycle was Kenneth Walker, who was valued as a top five dynasty running back. Of course, we know what happened. Zach Charbonnet was added to the backfield, put a dent in his overall ceiling, and his production kind of tapered off as the season went along this year. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the value of Kenneth Walker, he's currently going as the RB9, was valued upwards of the RB3, the RB4 last offseason. So huge decline as soon as they drafted Charbonnet, as soon as his uh, second year happened, we really saw this spike in value. Um, at RB9, I technically have him ranked in line with the market, but if it costs the way an RB9 would in a startup, I'm out on that type of cost. He really starts the range of dynasty running back that I'm just simply avoiding at their opportunity cost. You're missing out on the top eight, high-end guys like the Jonathan Taylors, the ETNs, the Kyron Williams, but you're also kind of starting the run of the Saquon Barkley's, the, you know, RB13, RB16 type of area. And to be honest, at this current point, I don't view Kenneth Walker as a clear-cut tier above any of those guys, despite him probably going a clear-cut tier above those guys in a lot of your startups. I think he's a fine top 15 level projection, and obviously he has the age and touch apex going for him, but I really have question marks when it comes to his overall yearly ceiling. With a guy like Zach Charbonnet there, new head coach involved there with Mike McDonald, I'm a little bit concerned. If you can get him cheaper in a sharper room, let's just say you're in a league with analysts and he's falling, you know, round seven, round eight, that type of area, and you want to take the plunge at that cost, I'm fine with it. But in a lot of your startup drafts, he'll be going in the round five type of area. And at that point, I'm just drafting wide receiver. I'm just drafting young quarterback, young tight end, or potentially if you have rookie picks involved in your startup, I would rather lean that way. Yeah, it really all depends on cost with Kenneth Walker because like you said, he is a top 10 dynasty running back in my rankings, but he shouldn't be that high. It's just the nature yeah. of the position that he's valued at that point. He's kind of like the new Nick Chubb, only he's not as good of a runner as Nick Chubb where it's a clean 1,000 plus yard projection, eight to 10 touchdowns every single year. He's got RB2 you know, baseline with maybe RB1 upside if he breaks off some long touchdowns or whatever. But the presence of Zach Charbonnet, the Seahawks offense is a little bit more shaky than it was this time last year as well. Uh, Geno Smith, it sounds like he's going to be back, but it's not like we're talking about a stud quarterback situation. It is a new offensive uh, play caller as well. So Pete Carroll's no longer there. Um, the whole you know coaching staff got overhauled, so we don't know if they're going to favor Zach Charbonnet. We don't know if they're going to favor Kenneth Walker or if they're going to keep their roles kind of unchanged here. For me, when it comes down to Kenneth Walker, I would rather have the guys that are kind of similarly ranked to him if I venture into this area. If one of these guys falls to round seven, round eight, 
I'd rather have Rashad White. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather have a guy that at least I know has a better projection in terms of, you know, his RB1 workload. Is there a risk that they could add a, a guy to his backfield? For sure. But at least with Rashad White, if they don't, I'm getting a crystal clear RB1 projection. And I'm sure that Rashad White is going higher in redraft formats in the big board, for example, right now. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I think you're getting a two-year you know, RB2 or better projection with either guy. But I would rather have the guy that at least proves RB1 production, has RB1 PPR upside, especially too, because he has... Um, versatility as a pass catcher. So uh, with Kenneth Walker, again, I'm kind of like not in, not out. I think he's appropriately valued, but only if he fell way past ADP would I kind of actually take a, a stab at Kenneth Walker. And it sounds like you feel the same way. Yeah, it's more so a structural thing. Like you said, if he's like your seventh or eighth added player, you know, eighth or ninth added player at that point, it's a lot more stomachable. But once you start start making him the fifth selected player on your team or the sixth selected player on your team, he's just too volatile of an asset because, like you said, the overall ceiling isn't up there. And if I'm going to wait for an RB2 level baseline, I would rather attack the RB23 in startups, the RB26 in startups that I can usually get at the round 10, round 11 opportunity cost. Yeah, or you just go for a veteran Aaron Jones, yeah. Alvin Kamara guy later, exactly. or you take an upside swing on a Roshan Johnson or somebody that could accumulate a lot of value as well. I find myself going in that direction as opposed to like investing in shaky, Same. current, young, but not a lot of insulation upside guys like Kenneth Walker. So um, speaking of aging veterans, we have Austin yeah. Eckler here as a guy that the another player that the dynasty community just has no idea what to do with. We have no idea where to rank this guy. A big reason for his fall in value is obviously he's old, but he was old last year. I mean, he's 29 years old at season start this year. He's expected to test free agency, expected to hit the open market. It doesn't sound like the Chargers are real keen on keeping him, to be honest. And he might be moving teams in 2024, which is definitely a concern because we know how the Chargers have treated him. They've given him as many targets as he can handle. Of course, he's not the best in terms of, you know, rushing efficiency wise at 3.5 yards per carry this year, just the RB 21 in points per game. But one thing you could uh, count on with Austin Eckler from a fantasy perspective was he was going to score a lot of touchdowns and he was going to catch a lot of passes. Maybe it was injury related last year, why he was so bad. He had a high ankle sprain in week one and he really never recovered from it. It didn't look like the same player throughout the entire season. We've seen that happen with Alvin Kamara in the past. We've seen that happen with Saquon Barkley in the past. We've seen that happen with Jonathan Taylor in the past. Sometimes you get a high ankle sprain and your season is just done. You can never recover. You can never come back. But I mean, 29-year-old running back coming off a high ankle sprain, potentially changing teams. I'm maybe in, depending on the price tag. I have him at RB36 right now. Maybe. I think I'd lean that he's a slight buy because there's so much uncertainty, so much of a sour taste in everybody's mouth because he does have a lot of things going for him. He's still one of the best receiving backs in the league, pound for pound, oh, yeah. probably the second best one behind Christian McCaffrey. He does, you know, take care of his body really well. We've seen the the workout videos that he's posting, and I think his game could age very gracefully if a team uses him more so in a committee approach as a receiving guy. So yeah, you're not getting the same bona fide RB1 top three level projection you were getting a couple of years ago, but I do want to see where he lands, and I don't actually hate taking the risk on him for a late second round price tag if you're a contender. That's about the issue I have. I wouldn't be willing to go up to a mid to late second round price tag. He's my RB36, and it's someone that if I have a contending roster and I have Austin Eckler, I'm riding into the sunset. And if I can get him for more of a mid-third round type of price tag, I'm more willing to buy. But if he's going for any second round liquidity, especially if it's 2024 liquidity, I just can't buy in at that point. Aging running backs that drop off as heavily from an efficiency standpoint as Eckler, who are scheduled to be on a team uh, – who are scheduled to be on a new team like Austin Eckler is this offseason. Seldom work out, man. Like you, you have a long laundry list of players that 
were awesome in their prime, go to a new team, obviously diminishing skill sets, uh, end up not getting the same type of utility that they saw in their prime, which it happens at the running back position. Alison Eckler is not a young spry chicken like he was a couple years ago. Um, his body is worn down uh, compared to the efficiency that we've seen in the past years. And it's tough for me to envision him landing in an elite spot like L.A. was for him. Like, realistically, L.A., he had it all made for him. The goal line opportunity, the overall RB1 workload, obviously the receiving ability that he had working with a guy like Justin Herbert. I'm really concerned that this feels like a 2023 Ezekiel Elliott situation where obviously in Dallas had all the value touches, the goal line touches, was an RB2 in fantasy 2022, goes 2023, lands with the New England Patriots. He shows some spike weeks, so some utility when Ramondre Stevenson missed, but that's about the ceiling I see for Eckler. Maybe he lands on a team like the Ravens or a contending team, ends up being the RB2 there, and if a starter were to miss any weeks, I could see some utility, but if he's valued as a top 24 overall pick, I'd rather just swing on the RB5 in the class. I would rather just swing on uh, a talented wide receiver in what's going to be a 15 wide receiver deep, 20 wide receiver deep draft class in the first three rounds. I really just want to be attacking the rookie liquidity at that point. It's at the point where it's the mid third round price tag where, okay, now we're dealing with like the Braylon Allens, the Will Shipley's at that point, I'd rather just bet on Eckler. Yeah. I think he's somewhere on the spectrum of Alvin Kamara in 2023. I don't think he'll be that good, but Ezekiel Elliott in 2023, he's probably somewhere in the middle of that. I I actually think his best landing spot would be to just go back to the chargers on like a one-year deal. Even if the chargers brought in say Blake Corum in the third round to spell him on early downs, I think you would get the high value touches still out of Austin Eckler that you want, because we know Justin Herbert's very comfortable throwing him the ball frequently. So I guess that would be the real question I have. I would say my attitude towards Eckler would be kind of wait and see what happens in free agency and then make your decision at that point. I don't know if I'm ready to take the plunge on Eckler for anything more than like an early third rounder at this point in time. If people are really worried you can get him for an early third rounder, I think that's a worthwhile investment. But if you have to pay a mid to late second rounder, I want to wait until I know where he is. I want to wait until I know if he's healthy and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to stick at the running back position and then we'll get into some wide receivers. Um, we have Damian Pierce running back from the Houston Texans who went from a guy that you could get a first round pick for last year. Yeah. He was legitimately a high value asset. Where do I start with this dude, man? He lost his job to Devin Singletary. So that's not ideal. He posted 2.9 yards per carry in 2023, despite having a much better situation than we thought it was going into the year. CJ Stroud plays like a borderline MVP candidate at times, yeah. at least offensive rookie of the year, as we saw. 64.0 PFF rushing grade in 2023, which was 54th among 59 qualifying running backs. We're talking Dalvin Cook range in terms of overall PFF uh, grade. After posting a very good grade as a rookie, 84.8, that was top 12 among rookie running or among running backs in general. Is he bad now? Was he hurt? I honestly have no idea. Is this the Chris Carson situation where he just runs so hard for one year and he's already used up all the high value touches he had in his career? The the frightening thing for Damian Pierce, because I would say I actually tend to view him as a buy at face value, but the frightening thing for Damian Pierce is that the Texans appear to be the leaders in the clubhouse for Saquon Barkley, for Josh Jacobs, for Derrick Henry, whatever free agent running backs are on the market, and as well, the high-end running backs in the draft. I think that the Texans will land somebody pretty big. I completely agree, and I, I literally have him as my RB48, so right aligned with the market. He's arguably the most confusing running back in the NFL at this point. I really don't have a take on whether he's a big buy at RB49, whether he's somebody that is just going to end up being a fodder piece, given what he showed in his second year. It's really tough to gauge just how valuable a guy like Damian Pierce is. 
He's the type of guy where if he's sitting in like, you know, round 20 of your startup, he fell a little bit and you're taking the plunge on him as a high value handcuff. I'm fine with that at that point. But if you're valuing him still as a top 15 round type of asset, you're, you're looking bleak here. Cause again, he was objectively one of the worst running backs in the league. And like you said, the Texans have cap space. They can go after one of these big name running backs. The Texans have draft capital. They can draft one of these big name rookie running backs. It's really a situation where we already saw the Texans hand with them giving Devin Singletary the work last year with a more talented running back added to the equation. Do we really expect Damian Pierce to be more useful in fantasy? That's the question I have. Again, round 20, you want high leverage handcuff. You want him to potentially get back to that rookie season level as a Tyler Algier type of spell. I'm fine with it there, but anything more in cost than that, I'm going to be out. I drafted him in uh, my most recent startup at the 1610. To me, I thought that was a worthwhile price tag to go after Damian yeah. Pierce, even if he is just a Tyler Algier handcuff. I mean, I have Tyler Algier inside my top 50 running back still, even though yeah. he's a pure handcuff to to Bijan Robinson. And we don't actually know that Damian Pierce is a pure handcuff yet. We think he probably will be if they bring in a Jacobs, if they bring in a Saquon, if they draft Jonathan Brooks or something like that. But with Damian Pierce, I tend to believe that he's closer to the middle of the pack in terms of the talent we saw from 2022 and the talent we saw in 2023. I'm hoping he was just dealing with an injury or maybe his offensive line was just not gelling well last year. I'm not exactly sure what happened with him, but to me, RB 49 is a pretty wicked discount for a guy that you could have gotten a first rounder for this time last year. At least at the time we viewed him as a potential high end running back in the NFL. So I'm at RB 43. I have absolutely no idea what to think about his value. If by some miracle, the Texans still believe in him enough to leave the door open, at least at running back, maybe they just draft a fourth round guy instead of drafting a second round guy or paying a high end free agent or something like that. I actually think he could return some immense value because if he is the player that we saw in 2022 still, and he was just dealing with some kind of injury last year that we didn't get went underreported or whatever you suddenly have a starting running back for CJ Stroud. I think that is a very, very slim range of outcomes. It's maybe a 5% chance, yeah. but at RB 49, I actually don't think in the 1610 that I got him in the startup, I actually think it's worth a shot. The issue I have though, is that he had his rookie success with a different coaching staff. They have no real connection to the rookie or dominant Damian Pierce that they saw in his rookie season. We saw what they know him as, as the second year rookie Damian or second year rookie, second year Damian Pierce this past season. Now, like you said, it could be because of the injury or it could just flat out be him not being a fit with the new offense with Bobby Slug. It remains to be seen. However, like you said, he's somebody that I'm not pulling the trigger on right now because there's so much that can go in his way of just completely vanishing his value. But if he's still valued around the RB 45 after the NFL draft, and maybe like you said, they draft only a fourth rounder, or maybe they sign like, I don't know, a 7 million, $6 million running back rather than one of the top of the line running backs. I'm okay with it at that price. Just investing right now, knowing that a Saquon Barkley, a Josh Jacobs, a Jonathan Brooks, Trey Benson type can go there a little bit of a pause, but at RB 49, that's obviously already baked in. Yeah. And I Part of the reason why I think he's just a buy in general is if the Texans were to sign Saquon Barkley, I would be calling the Texans about Damian Pierce if I was other teams. Sure. Like, I think he's a good enough player that he could be a 1B. Like, if I was the Chargers, for example, and they brought back Austin Eckler, he is the perfect complement to Austin Eckler. So I, I think if I view him as that talented, at least still at this point in time, then I think he's absolutely worth a shot at RB50 price tags. We're talking about 16th sure. round startup. We're talking no second round rookie picks are on the board still. We're talking third round rookie pick 
oh, yeah. uh, price tag. So for me, I think he's worth a shot at that point, but I understand some trepidation. Uh, speaking of trepidation, a guy that I had yeah. a lot of trepidation on last year was Cooper Cup, wide receiver of the Los uh, Angeles Rams. I was staunchly against Cooper Cup last year, especially in redraft. People were taking him in the top five, top eight before the injury. I think it was probably one of my best calls of the entire season last year. I was worried about the injury concerns, the tightrope ankle surgery that he had, advanced age for a player who, yes, posted one of the best receiver seasons we'd seen in 2021 and also was very good on a point-per-game basis in 2022. But prior to that, it's not like he was Julio Jones. Like He wasn't a perennial wide receiver one, and the NFL sometimes just stands for not for long. And the question is, if you believe in Cooper Cup, you don't think he's hit the wall. And for me, I think he may have hit the wall. We might be in the 2019 Michael Thomas area right now with Cooper Cup. The question is, where do you see him? Is he a bounce back candidate? Is he the type of guy that you're just like, hey, you know, if he falls for far enough and I'm a contender, I might take the shot. For me, I'm like, I might just let my league mates draft him because I think he'll be overdrafted based on his prior production. It fully depends on the price for Cooper Cup. Wide receiver 34, knowing that uh, I have 10 rookies higher. He's my wide receiver 40 for the record. So wide receiver 34 on the market, wide receiver 40, but I also have 10 rookie wide receivers mixed in there. If you're getting him around, you know, the wide receiver 34, wide receiver 35 price tags, I really do think he's a tentative buy as a contender. But if you're a risk-averse manager, he's not your cup of tea, man. Because if you can get him in like the round eight plus and you're willing to take risks, that's when I'm comfortable making that type of plunge because he's still attached to Sean McVay. He's still attached to Matthew Stafford. And despite dealing with the injuries throughout the season, he produced 58 catches, 726 yards, and five touchdowns in the 11 games he played over 50% of the snaps. He's more volatile than a guy like Stephon Diggs and a guy like Devontae Adams. But if he's demonstrably cheaper in your league, I think it's worthwhile, especially for a contender. You can get him as, you know, your wide receiver three, wide receiver four on your team. Maybe you have two really good quarterbacks, really good tight end, and you can get him for that cheap of a cost. I'm fine with it, but he's the only instance I'm buying him is for that production. If you are a heavy contender and you want to buy the production and you're willing to eat a second round pick if things go awry, I'm cool with it. You're not buying Cooper Cup saying, well, I'm just going to get him cheap now. And by the time he starts producing in season, his value is going to go double in value. Because I'll tell you right now, it's much more likely his value decreases than it increases. If he misses any time in season, value decreases. Even if he's back to a, I don't know, top 15 overall wide receiver level, is he really going to go much higher than wide receiver 34 in the market? I have question marks like that. Again, if you're banking on the production, cool with the buy. If you're banking on him potentially increasing in value, do not buy. Yeah, I mean, I think the perfect example of that is Mike Evans and Keenan Allen. If he returned yeah. Mike Evans and Keenan Allen production next year, I would consider that a massive win for where Cooper Cup for is sure. at right now. And you can't get a first round pick for either of those guys on the market for the most part right now. So that's why I wouldn't, I would push back on, you'll just buy Cooper Cup and sell him for higher later. If you can Agreed. get any first round capital for Cooper Cup, I think you should Easily. be cashing out because even though, you know, I don't think I'm totally out at wide receiver 40, that's where I have him ranked as well. I mean, there's a number of receivers I would rather have in this rookie class. And I mean, some of the trades like we we can see on our uh, flock trade finder here, Aaron Rodgers and Cooper Cup were sold in a, a super flex league for a one and a three. That. That's about what you're looking at if you're trying to tear down a previous contender. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, the, the deals I'm looking at if you're trying to buy are, I mean, the one there where it's like Cooper Cup for uh, a 2024 two, uh, three and a 2025 two. Like if you get it for those costs and you're a contender, I'm fine with that. Or this deal, uh, I mean, even if that's the 2024 uh, round one, 101 at the bottom right corner, if you're getting Kyler Murray plus Cooper Cup, let's just say for Caleb Williams, 
I'm fine stomaching that because, again, I view Kyler Murray as a top 15 overall asset, Caleb as, you know, uh, the number 10, number 9 overall asset. If you're telling me I can get Cooper Cup to move down from 9 or 10 in my startup to number 15, I'd be willing to do that. Yeah, it really all depends what you're looking for. For me with Cup, I'm like, I think he's going to go higher just based on name value, so I'm probably yeah. out. But again, if you're a heavy contender and you can stomach, you're, you're not getting any value here. You're, you're buying him solely for production, production. And he might not work out from that perspective, just like it would have been the case if you bought Michael Thomas in 2021, for example. But at the same time, he could return top 15 value. Puka Nakua, I mean, some people are hesitant to call him like an actual wide receiver one or whatever. Maybe you think that balance between Cup and Nakua is going to be a little bit more 50-50 than, you know, 70-30 or whatever it was for uh Puka Nakua this year as a rookie. So uh, number six on this list and a guy that is definitely more volatile from a range of outcomes perspective as well is Christian Watson. I mean, injury plagued season this year didn't really get off the ground running at all. He was dealing with hamstring injuries, other lower body injuries throughout the season. He played just nine games and we would have been very excited to draft Christian Watson with the hindsight that Jordan Love ended up becoming a franchise quarterback, a quarterback that the Packers are now excited about. The problem is the injury concerns plus Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Dontavian Wicks, the tight ends, Tucker Craft, and Luke Musgrave. All of that competition for targets puts a damper on his unquestioned number one wide receiver role that we had for him coming into the season. Because while we're not big, like too many mouths to feed bros that like avoid all the players, this is a situation. This is one of the rare situations where I don't think any one guy is way more talented than the other guys. It's not that you know, the target hierarchy is, you know, this guy's one, this guy's two, this guy's three, this guy's four. And we're worried about target competition. It's like, I could see realistically Watson being the number one, Jaden Reed being the number one, maybe even Romeo Dobbs or Dontavian Wicks being the number one. Plus you also have the running backs and the tight ends to compete for targets with. Yeah. The thing with green Bay is they have four guys that you can call a wide receiver two, three in most offenses, but no clear cut. Number one. Now, if you want to make the bet that Jaden Reed becomes that one or Christian Watson becomes that one, or maybe you're a big Romeo Dubs on Damian Wicks guy, I feel like all of them have their own cases to potentially be viewed as the one on this offense, which kind of decreases the value of all of them. Because realistically, if you can't say with certainty, this guy's going to be the number one, or this guy's going to be the number two, or you don't even know the three wide receivers that are, that are going to be getting snaps on any given week, it does put a damper in it. However, at these type of prices, I'm willing to take the plunge. Again, I'm not going to overexpose myself with Christian Watson. He's not going to be somebody that I have on 80% of my dynasty rosters. But if I'm in 10 leagues and I can have, you know, one or two shares of Christian Watson, knowing the spike week, the ultimate potential that he has, I'm absolutely willing to do it. And I get it. Like there are people are going to throw around Claypool 2.0 moniker. Oh, we saw what Chase Claypool did as a rookie, bad second year. And look where he is in dynasty now. Like I get people are going to make that claim. I still think Christian Watson is an extremely talented player and he doesn't have the proof of attitude issues that Claypool had after his second season. Like everybody and their mother heard Chase Claypool, the attitude, he gets traded for uh, this package. He ends up getting sent to Chicago and then gets discarded for the Dolphins. Like a lot of it has to be the intangible as to why Chase Claypool couldn't replicate his rookie season. And although I don't know if Christian Watson's an upstanding citizen, I don't have any real proof that he's a Chase Claypool level problem from an attitude standpoint. So I think he's got the most unique skill set of these Packers wide receivers. And I have a really tough time saying that he won't end up being a top two wide receiver on this team, whether Reed is the number one, Christian Watson, the number one, or whether, you know, Romeo Dubs ends up being the one or Dontavian Wicks becomes the one. I feel like Christian Watson, given his skill set, will play a big time role in this offense. So I'm willing to buy him again. We know now that Jordan Love is a legit quarterback. 
We didn't know that last offseason. If Christian Watson pays off on the skill level, the talent level that we expected last offseason, he could be one of the biggest deals in Dynasty. Yeah, like, let me just use George Pickens as an example. Yeah. Do I think George Pickens is a top 35 NFL wide receiver? Yeah. Do I think yeah. he's a top 15 NFL wide receiver? No. And I think Christian Watson and him are very similar. They were Great. viewed very similarly coming out of college. There was no real separation between them in rookie drafts back in 2022. They were like the 110, 111, respectively, in most leagues. So for me, I think one guy went up, one guy went down, and it was mainly due to injury. It's not like he played all 16 games or all 17 games like the guy we're going to talk about in a second and just didn't produce. With Christian Watson, he kind of just got unlucky. He wasn't on the field. I actually purchased him in one league. I sold the contender 112, the guy that actually won the league, and the 212, and I got Christian Watson, Greg Dolchich, and a third rounder in return. So again, maybe I overpaid just a smidge for Christian Watson because I did that back in like November or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not like overly mad about that price tag. The 112 in this class, definitely a good player. But in a tight end premium league, I got Dolchich as well. I also got a third rounder. So with Christian Watson, again, I can see both sides of the argument. Is he Chase Claypool 2.0? Maybe. Is he a guy that we should be absolutely smashing the buy button on right now? Maybe. Like, I really don't know. <laughs> and honestly, all these Green Bay Packers wide receivers, I just think they're better in Dynasty best ball to begin with because yes. I think all of them are going to have their value. All of them are going to have their weeks. I bet by week five next year, we're talking about a different Green Bay Packers wide receiver being the number one there than we are in week eight or week 10 or week 13. The next guy that we're going to talk about also came from the 2022 wide receiver draft class, uh, Jahan Dotson, wide receiver of the Washington Commanders. One of my you know, pet cats coming into the year, one of my pet cats during the draft process, he had a really disappointing second yeah. season. There's honestly, uh, there's nothing I can point to to say anything other than he was bad this year. Sam Howell was actually solid for, as a quarterback in terms of what he should have meant fantasy production wise to both Terry McLaurin and to Jahan Dotson. So to me, it's very disappointing that Dotson regressed with having Sam Howell and a couple games of Jacoby Brissett at quarterback in targets, in yards, in yards per reception, in touchdowns per game, fantasy points per game. He regressed across the board. So definitely not ideal for Jahan Dotson. The question is, are we in, are we out at wide receiver 50 ish price tags where he's going right now? I have him at 52. I'm glad we're getting a discount because being yeah. a Dotson truther is easier to stomach at this much of a discount because, you know, the dynasty market wasn't sold on him coming out of college. It's understandable why he's a little bit lower than someone even, you know, that was higher thought of coming out of that 2022 class. In my opinion, he's a firm hold if you have him, but I'm probably not actively firing mm -hmm. trade offers for him if I don't have him because I do think things are looking a little bit more promising. You got the second pick of the draft this year if you're Washington. Hopefully that's Drake May that they bring in and not Jaden Daniels. Maybe he can develop better target earning ability in year three, although that might be a tough ask because so far in the NFL, even his rookie season, as good as it was, he wasn't really commanding a lot of targets. He was kind of just making big plays, making touchdowns and things like that. It took him three years to develop in college, right? That a lot of people, the knock on Jahan Dotson coming out of school was, why wasn't he more productive year one, year two, of his collegiate career, he had a good junior season and a really good senior season. Maybe he's a late bloomer. Maybe it just takes him a little bit of time to put things together. I wouldn't overexpose yourself because he could be in Elijah Moore territory very soon. But I do think that Jahan Dotson at least has some reason for optimism at wide receiver 50. Because if he's the guy that we saw his rookie season with Drake May at quarterback, we could be talking about something a lot better. Yeah, I mean, at the cost, if you were in on him last offseason, obviously you're going to be in on him at this type of cost. 
like you said, there's no sugarcoating just how bad his second year was. Uh, he's my wide receiver 60 at this current point when I'm including the rookie pool because, I mean, that's how talented this rookie pool is. You can le legitimately make the case that 12, 13, 14 of these guys should be within the top 55 of Dynasty wide receiver ranks. He's well within the tier of guys that I'm really just indifferent on. You know, guys like, you know, Demario Douglas, Jahan Dotson. I really do think that if you get these guys cheap enough in your startups, they do have some spike potential. With Jahan Dotson, I believe in the talent of this player despite the involvement in 2023. It wasn't what I anticipated coming to the year. This was a guy that I was comfortable taking in round six, round seven of redraft leagues last year. We saw uh, Sam Howell running back tight end merchant in 2023. You mentioned that they're expected to take a quarterback at second overall. Hopefully for our sake, this Drake may based on our own evaluation, we do prefer him to a guy like Jaden Daniels. But even if it's a Jaden Daniels, maybe he gets some more slot versatility. We saw Jaden Daniels being able to dominate from the slot fade. I really do think that Jahan Dotson, given his makeup, could be a big time player in that type of role. He had over 500 yards. He had seven touchdowns in those 12 games as a rookie. And I can really see a third-year spike like Corey mentioned. But like you said, the downside here is it's an Elijah Moore situation. If they don't, if he doesn't prove it this year, he could be discarded like Elijah Moore kind of has in the dynasty market. Yeah, exactly. You kind of just have to hope that it like Cliff Kingsbury brings in a schematic change that features the yeah. wide receivers more and Drake May or whoever they take at quarterback is going to be a guy that features the wide receivers more. And yeah. Dotson obviously needs to get a lot better too because he wasn't yeah. good either. It wasn't just schematic and, and quarterback play that uh, that caused him to go down. So speaking of bad quarterback play, let's talk about a couple quarterbacks here. Deshaun Watson, quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, a guy That's that we were all over last year. Yeah. And unfortunately, if you listen to us, He's lost value since then. Another year removed from the last time he was fantasy relevant in 2020. He's only played in 12 games and he just flat out hasn't been good. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, people don't want to associate themselves with Deshaun, especially not now because his production value isn't making it worth it. Uh, people are going to point, oh, clear decline as a passer. Doesn't look like that Deshaun from Houston. A lot more uncertainty as to the fact is, can he get back to that Houston level? That was always the premise for buying. Okay, you know what? He's dealt with all this. Uh, he has a clean slate now. Obviously, the Browns offense projects favorably. We just need to uh, to see that level of talent that we saw from the prime Deshaun Watson. And another year removed, like you said, I'm becoming worried, man. With how high it was on Watson, you would think quarterback 24 price tags, I should be absolutely smashing. But the vibes are just off, man. I really can't explain it. Like going into last season, at least I could point to the favorability of it. I could point to, well, second year as a Brown, full offseason work with these weapons. I can project going forward that he can get back to that level. But then he just didn't get back to that level, man. And now two years removed, like you said, 12 games since 2020. Is he ever going to be back to a top 15 overall quarterback in the NFL? I have my concerns here. And uh, the team commitment long-term now obviously is a question mark too. Like if he has another bad year this year, is he a cut candidate? Is he a Russell Wilson type of candidate where they just don't play him because the injury guarantees? Like the vibes here are really, really off. And if I have existing shares, maybe I'm in 10 leagues. I have one share. I may keep one just to see if he can get back to that level. But he is definitely not somebody I want to be overexposed to. I do not want five, six, seven shares. And if you guys have five, six, seven shares at this current point, I'd be selling off a good amount of them. Yeah, I uh, I was very much a staunch. Same. Look at the career projection of Deshaun Watson. 2017, great. 2018, great. 2019, great. 2020, 2020. elite. Like literally one of yeah. the best quarterbacks in the league in 2020. Yeah. On a shit team, by the way, with yeah. no DeAndre Hopkins. 
2021, obviously he misses or whatever year he misses the whole season, comes back six games, wasn't good with the Browns. But I was like, hey, look at the big sample size, not the little sample size. I'm getting nervous, fellas, because the sample sample size size. of him being bad is getting larger and larger. And even though I'm right at consensus, I have him QB 22, so I'm a little bit higher than you on him. I would be looking to cash out for a quarterback upgrade. Use him to get up to a better quarterback. Use him to get up to a quarterback that you actually believe in. Like, you know, maybe you're a Jordan Love guy, or maybe you're a, maybe a little bit lower than that even. Maybe you believe in Bryce Young even. Maybe you believe in Justin Fields, or maybe you believe in, you just want the production of Dak Prescott. I'm personally a Brock Purdy guy. Maybe I could use him to get up to Brock Purdy. So I would be looking to cash up for a QB upgrade if you could. Sometimes people want a quarterback back in return in those kind of trades. Or a high-end rookie pick if you can get one. I mean, I doubt you're getting 107 or better for Deshaun Watson in a trade. But even, I mean, would you take Deshaun Watson right now or the 109 in a rookie draft? 109 without hesitation. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that's where we're at with Deshaun Watson. Could he still become the Deshaun Watson from Houston? And maybe it's all been a mental thing for him because, you know, his mind was put through the ringer. I don't actually know. I have no clue. But at the same time, the the likelihood that he becomes the Deshaun Watson from Houston, Houston is getting worse and worse and more unlikely. So, for me... While that upside scenario hypothetically still exists, it's getting a little bit more far out into the distance for me. So again, if you can cash out, I probably would do it. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm posing a hypothetical question to you, you mentioned the names, you know, Purdy, Dak, Fields, you know, Tua, uh, et cetera here. But like, if you're, if you're equating it out, would you rather have the asset of uh, Jer- uh, Deshaun Watson? If you got offered a deal right now, you have Deshaun Watson and somebody has Jared Goff. And that Jared Goff manager says, I want Deshaun Watson plus the 207 this year. What side do you want? I have Jared Goff over Deshaun Watson. So, so do I'd I would rather have Jared Goff. Like the 207, like you would want more uh, attached to Watson to give up Goff? Oh, I see. You're you're the one yeah. with Goff. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Watson in the 207. If you're okay, you know, stomaching the risk, I'm fine with that. But at the same time, they're in the same tier for me. So you tell me one guy gets a second on the other side, I would probably take that side. That's fair. But that kind of goes to show you like, this is a guy that we were, we were talking about as a top 15 overall asset. Like you have to build in this pessimism because like you said, it's easier to overlook a six game sample size when the guy hasn't hadn't played football since 2020. It's a lot harder to stomach now that he has two seasons under his belt, 12 games under his belt, and he hasn't gone back to that level. Yeah, and we've seen what, like one good game out of him. That Tennessee game last year was yeah. like the best game we've seen him play uh, in a Cleveland Browns uniform. The Browns have a good team, man. Like they literally had a great defense last year. They had Joe Flacco take him to a playoff game and go on a run towards the end of the season. They have a number one receiver in Amari Cooper. They have other guys, David Njoku and Nick Chubb will be back this year. Like if Deshaun Watson can't figure it out by week four or week five, he might be useless on the dynasty market legitimately. Like you said, they probably have some kind of contract and financial situation where they could just like sit him on the bench, play Dorian Thompson Robinson, or maybe they invest in a day two quarterback this year or something like that. It's getting bleak in Cleveland with the Deshaun Watson contract. And if he doesn't perform fast, he is going to lose value also fast. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's a tough situation for Deshaun Watson. It's also a tough situation for a quarterback that got paid last offseason that was valued amongst the top 15 at his position, as well as Deshaun Watson. Daniel Jones of the New York Giants. And the main reason in terms of his fall of value, ACL tear primarily, but also due to middling quarterback play, Offensive line was a mess. Daniel Jones' internal clock was completely out of whack this year. Clear decline from what we saw from him in 2022 when he led the Giants to the playoffs. 
everybody assumed that his 2022 season would transfer over to 2023 with Dable in his second year, but that simply didn't happen. And the advanced metrics showed that the Giants were complete frauds in 2022. So if you really looked into that, it's not really a surprise that they were this bad in 2023. Now the Giants are rumored of potentially getting a vet quarterback, potentially drafting a quarterback at six or in the second round. Like there's a lot more uncertainty towards the uh, towards Daniel Jones actually seeing the final year of that four-year contract. So his value on the market has dropped from a top 15 overall quarterback asset to the quarterback 29. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and that's a low price tag. So yes. that's positive. If you're a Daniel Jones buyer, um, you think that's a good price tag probably to buy him at. Because I guarantee if they take Malik Neighbors at number six, if they take Romo Dunze or Brock Bowers at number six and not a quarterback, or they invest in the offensive line or whatever, Daniel Jones will move back up in value. The reason he's at quarterback 29 is because there's legitimate pessimism that he might not be the starting quarterback yeah. next year. Um, he's going to come back, maybe not ready for week one as well, which is also a concern that you would have with him. But I don't believe he's even that good of a quarterback. I didn't believe it in 2022. I've never really believed it th throughout the entirety of his career. Can he be good for fantasy because he could run a little bit? Yeah, but like so was Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. So I think the Giants may be tempted to move off of him this year. And even if they don't trade up for another quarterback or maybe Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy they're interested in or whatever, I don't think his long-term viability is something that I want to invest in. If the Giants go the whole draft without investing in a quarterback and he's quarterback 25 now in terms of a price tag and you like Daniel Jones, maybe it's worth throwing a, a second-round pick in 2025 at him or something like that. But to me, you can't take the take the risk at this point in time because he might really sink in terms of overall value. If you're looking to buy a quarterback in this range where I have Daniel Jones ranked, buy somebody who's a little bit more solidified as a starter like Geno Smith or Aaron Rodgers or even Derek Carr. Like again, you're not getting better fantasy production probably than those guys than you would out of a starting quarterback Daniel Jones for the Giants with Malik Neighbors say as his number one wide receiver now. But for me, it's just like I don't believe in Daniel Jones. So go up to Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, J.J. McCarthy, Kirk Cousins or somebody like that or go down to a really cheap option like Ryan Tannehill or somebody like that. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm more willing to buy pending the price. Obviously, like you said, if he goes back up to a top 24 valuation and he's valued amongst, you know, the Staffords, the Mayfields, the Cousins, I'm not buying at that price. But if the price remains, you know, low 20s, like he's amongst the, you know, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers coming off the Achilles, like I'm more willing to do it at that price because, I mean, I value him as about a late second overall uh, uh, 2024 second at this current point. If you said, oh, I have the 209 and I shipped it for Daniel Jones because I'm a contending team and needed a quarterback three, that's one thing. But he's somebody I, that I have to buy after the NFL draft, like you said. I'm not taking the risk on him if the Giants take a quarterback at six or if they sign a Russell Wilson or someone like that. It would have to be after the NFL draft, but the only problem with that, like you said, if the, if the Giants exit the NFL draft with a wide receiver at six and no quarterback competition added, you're not going to be able to get him for quarterback 29 price tag. So if you can maintain and get him at that type of price tag after the NFL draft, I'm buying. But like you said, if it starts rising past the Baker Mayfield or to the Matthew Stafford, that gets type of area, will, I guarantee it. Yeah, if that happens, then I'll be out. But he's still a guy that we saw top 10 level production a couple years ago. We obviously know that he's able to do it with his legs. He should have his best weapons core of his career if they add a wide receiver at six overall. But the only problem, like you said, is you can make that case for Marcus Mariota. You can make that case for Jameis Winston. You can make that case for former first round high overall picks that simply don't have the longevity because the teams realize maybe they're not that good. 
Let me ask you this question, because this is an interesting topic. Would you sell Deshaun Watson for Daniel Jones in a mid-second round pick in 2024? Just because we're talking about both of these guys that we don't really know what to do with. I would. Yeah, you would? Yeah, that's an interesting topic because both of these guys, like we don't really like either of them. So I guess you're insulating that trade a little bit by getting a second rounder. Although you could lose that hard if Deshaun Watson uh, turns into uh, Deshaun Watson of Houston days. That would look really stupid if you made that trade. For sure. If I have a, especially if I have a lot of Watts and I can uh, mitigate some of the risk, also have another path to paying off again, very, very strong 2024 class. Like you just mentioned, let's just say that's the 206, the 207, something like that. I could be in the range for a top 12 overall wide receiver, in my rankings, top five overall running back. Maybe a guy like Bo Nix goes 34th overall falls to the mid second. And then at that point, it's like, okay, well, I may just believe in Bo Nix over both. So the fact that I can get Bo Nix and Daniel Jones to move off Watson, I would do that as a W. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, interesting co- uh, topic of conversation oh, yeah. with these quarterbacks. Again, I mean, this is why we like to secure them early. We don't want to have to deal with these this range of yeah, quarterbacks because they're concerning. Although, counter, uh, counter argument to that is that Watson was one of those guys last year and he's lost a lot of value. So uh, number 10 guy on this list, the final guy we're going to talk about here is Kyle Pitts, who is a very contentious topic. Oh, fuck, man. I mean, where do we start with the reason for falling his value as well? Incredibly frustrating from a production standpoint. Never gets the high value looks in the Atlanta Falcons offense. Just six touchdowns in three seasons, despite being six foot six and 250 pounds. He gets six targets per game at tight end, which is like pretty decent numbers. But Arthur Smith like ruined his life pretty much. So despite top six, top eight and top 11 PFF receiving grades each of the last three years, top six as a rookie, Kyle Pitts just hasn't hit what we wanted him to hit when he was a top five NFL draft pick. He Tight end 11 is the highest he's ever finished in fantasy points per game. He has adamantly disappointed on where you drafted him in terms of redraft and dynasty ADP the last three years. So the dynasty community is ready to bury him probably rightfully. So given what he's done so far, I am still in, but I'm wavering. I have him ranked where he's going and I do think he's worth the upside swing. What say you? (laughs) I'm in at this cost. He is my tight end seven as well, like you mentioned, but I really view the four to seven range as being pretty fluid given the injury issues, uh, the age of some of the other guys. I view Kyle Pitts well within that tier. I I mean, he's still one of the best tight end athletes of all, of all time that we've ever seen. He's still one of the best tight end prospects. If you prefer Brock Bowers, you prefer Kyle Pitts, I think you, you can make the case that those are the two best tight end prospects we have seen since Vernon Davis. And I, I'm willing to write off this past year as him recovering from lingering issues uh, in terms of his knee in 2023. It's been reported that it was like meniscal damage. He didn't really move the same that he did in his previous years. A lot of weird stuff going behind the scenes with Kyle Pitts on top of the fact that there's a big time new offensive outlook there with Zach Robinson coming in as OC with a new quarterback coming in, whether that's them aggressively going after a Drake May or signing a Kirk Cousins. I can confidently say that no matter what they bring in at quarterback is going to be a big time improvement over what they saw last year with Desmond Ritter and with Taylor Heineke. I still believe in the profile of Kyle Pitts. And while the second and third years were definitely deflating, being a big time Kyle Pitts fan, I mean, you guys have heard on this channel me refer to him as literally the gold standard of dynasty tight end. He's not quite valued like that for me uh, that, that he was the previous two years. But if you can get him at tight end seven, I'm willing to cast away the concerns that we saw in year two and three due to bad quarterback play, due to injury issues. And of course, like you mentioned, due to the fact that Arthur Smith was a complete buffoon. Are you taking the rookie 110 in Superflex? Are you taking Kyle Pitts? Kyle Pitts. 
Really? Okay. So you're a little bit higher on me than, uh, on him than I am. I actually have him at tight end, uh, nine. If you include rookies, uh, Bowers is my tight end too. So I actually prefer David and Joku, George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson and Dalton Kincaid. I'm assuming you probably have him over Kittle and and Joku. I would imagine at Uh, at seven, including Brock Bowers, uh, Kincaid would be my eight and Joku my nine. And then you get into the 10 to 12 range with like the Kelsey, the Ferguson, the Goddard. I would prefer Kyle Pitts to that. The way I kind of have him evaluated right now is I view him right in line with the 110, the 111, the 112, uh, and right behind a guy like TJ Hawkinson. Like the difference in ratings, uh, rankings for me is within a round. Yeah. And like you said, the quarterback position, the head coach position, injury issues, all of that has been why you can't just surface level. Pitts hasn't produced, ergo, he's bad. You have to dig a little deeper with this guy, and it's going to separate good analysts from bad analysts. Um, to some degree, but at the same time, even if the process is right on Kyle Pitts, like we could be right. Hey, the quarterback gets an upgrade. The head coach gets an upgrade. You know, maybe he's healthier this year. He might still never hit, you know, top five tight end production. So he's really challenging, man. Like I I think he's a very good upside swing for rebuilders. If you can get him for the two Oh two in the rookie draft, come rookie draft fever. When everybody's really excited about this class, you might be able to pull off a deal like that. Again, I tend to lean towards buying him a little bit, but I also said that last offseason and he yeah. lost even more value. So really difficult with Kyle Pitts, man. Like he is one of the hardest evaluations in dynasty fantasy football. And I think rightfully so that people are burying him because at some point you just got to produce the injury issue is the one thing that I think you can't really explain away. It's like if he was hurt last year and he wasn't healthy, it's kind of reasonable why he didn't produce better. Yeah, no, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And not to mention, you you said the 110, the 111, the 112. That is all dependent on if you have a top-end tight end on your team. Like if you have a Sam Laporta, a TJ Hawkinson, a George Kittle, you're going to prefer the pick because you want to attack wide receiver. You have more options to potentially liquidate that pick. If you need a tight end, maybe your core is Dalton Schultz and Darren Waller, and you want to say, hey, I have three first-round picks this year. I want to spend the 110 on Kyle Pitts. That's when I'm willing to do it. Cause like you mentioned, I still believe in the top end upside that Kyle Pitts could represent. Yeah. And I mean, the 110 is an easier to move asset than Kyle Pitts because for obviously sure. everybody's going to have their wide receiver four or their RB1 or their QB4 or whatever that they want to go after with that 110 overall pick. But uh, that is the end of the video. Again, uh, the dynasty fantasy football market is burying these players. The community wants nothing to do with them. I hope we get, uh, we gave you guys some good insight because I'm sure you guys have a lot of these dudes on your roster and have no freaking clue what to do with them. And I know I have a lot of Kyle Pitts exposure. I have a lot of Deshaun Watson exposure. I have a lot of Jahan Dotson exposure. So I'm thinking a lot of these guys, I do need to figure out just in my own head, what I'm doing with them. Am I holding, am I buying, am I selling? Uh, I hope we documented kind of what we're trying to do with these guys. So if you enjoyed this video, leave a like, make sure to subscribe down below as well. We featured our flock fantasy trade calculator and trade finder features in this video. Of course, if you want to check out the site flockfantasy.com, link down below will be in the description. Of course, you'll get our draft guide. You'll get our rankings, super flex, one quarterback prospect. You'll get all the draft guide, the rankings and the bonus content of all the other creators on the site as well. And of course, as we talked about in this video, our dynasty trade calculator is totally customizable to your league settings so that you know, if you're in a one quarterback start eight league, that depth is less valuable, for example. Or if you know that you're in a start 13 super flex league, depth is more valuable. Fully customizable. With that being said, peace out, and we'll talk to you soon.